the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead and I'm a California Bar Admitted Attorney. And I'm also a bankruptcy law certified specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. And as I've shared with you before, in addition to my JD, I'm also both a master of the laws of taxation law and a master of the laws of intellectual properties law. Now, I got both of these great master's degrees from my favorite alma mater, Golden Gate University School of Law, which is located in the still mostly deserted but slowly reawakening and always beautiful city of San Francisco. Now, because of my training, my experience, and mostly my lifelong interests, I primarily practice bankruptcy, debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and taxation law. And I'm proud to say that On occasion, I sometimes have the opportunity to seek out and attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors who have become more and more these days the victim of financial elder abuse. I am, as always, and seems to be (laughs) always is, is a long word and the right word, coming to you again today from my makeshift studios in my home in the beautiful and still mostly deserted streets of Oakland, California, to discuss some of the financial and legal issues confronting individuals, families, and small business owners. However, I must once again ask you to please note that this show does not provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with any of you out there within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that is tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances. And, you know, hopefully um, provide you with at least an outline of some of the key legal issues that you need to consider. And basically, so you can find someone to help you. And I do this Because as I'm known for saying, representing yourself in a legal matter, especially when dealing with your money, is like taking a butter knife to a gunfight. You're not going to prevail unless you get very, very lucky because everyone else is going to be armed to the teeth. That is to say, they themselves will be a lawyer or they'll be represented by a lawyer. And that means that you and your little butter knife, no matter how sharp it is, are likely going to be on the losing end of the situation and you 
not you as a human being, but your valid claims and your righteous defenses will likely see the promised land long before you do. Okay, so you know the purpose of Selwyn's Law is to discuss the law as it's related to your money and more probably the lack thereof, your overall finances, and what you need to consider to protect your and or your families and or your businesses, financial health, wealth, and money-related well-being as I understand these concepts in this non-threatening educational form. And in as much as I am also um, a practicing attorney and an imperfect person of faith, I have and will continue to use this platform to bring important news and other information about the intersection of the law and religion that I believe might be helpful to the members of our various and diverse religious communities out there listening to me. As such, and in as much as it appears that COVID-19 is going to be here to stay, today I want to share some information from the California Department of Public Health on what we, both as congregants of religious institutions, and or just plain old citizens who care about these institutions, as well as those of us who lead or advise these publicly facing institutions on what they need to consider as we all go about carefully and rationally reopening our places of worship in a manner that protects our health and the safety of our congregations and our families, and our overall general community at large. So my sources for today's discussion are, one, the California Department of Health has a COVID-19 industry guideline for places of worship and providers of religious services and cultural services and cultural ceremonies which is dated May 25th, 2020, and can be found on the California Department of Public Health website located at https colon forward slash forward slash COVID-19 dot CA dot gov forward slash PDF forward slash guidance dash places dash of dash worship PDF. Now, as you recall, last week, I shared an overview of the Center for Disease Control's federal guidance about what it recommended that we do to reopen houses of worship throughout the entire nation. Now, principal amongst the CDC's guidance were recommendations that all religious institutions places of worship follow the CDC's recommendations and that their recommendations should be used in collaboration with local health officials and other state and local uh, authorities who can 
help assess the current level of mitigation needed based on the COVID-19 transmission and capabilities of the local health and healthcare system. So here's what California's chief medical officer and chief health officers believe we should do in our state. Now, the purpose of the document, their guidance, is to assist places of worship and providers of religious services and cultural ceremonies to collectively figure out how they can support a safe, clean environment for their employees, for their interns, for their trainees, for their volunteers, for their scholars, and all other types of workers who support the churches, as well as their congregants, worshipers, visitors, that is to say, you know, the people that utilize the facilities, um, uh, the churches, the houses of worship, to freely exercise their beliefs. Now, the key preventive practices recommended by the state of California and they are logical, physical distancing to the maximum extent possible, the use of face coverings by all employees and volunteers, unless there's some kind of respiratory protection that won't allow that particular employee or volunteer to cover their face. And so perhaps other means of allowing them to participate in, in the celebration of being able to um, freely exercise their religion other means and mechanisms need to be uh, considered. Also, frequent hand washing and regular cleaning and disinfection of the house of worship and the training of employees and volunteers on these and other elements of the COVID-19 prevention plan. Now, in addition, the state goes on to say it will be critical to have in place appropriate processes to identify new cases of illness amongst the congregants, as well as they also need to be identified so they can quickly intervene when it's identified that someone is ill in order to stop the spread of the virus. Now, the state's guidance goes on to say it does not obligate places of worship to resume in-person activity. Further, it strongly recommends that places of worship continue to facilitate remote services and other related activities for those who are vulnerable to COVID-19, including older adults and those with comorbidities, such as we have discussed in the past, uh, congregants that are made up of large amounts of people of color because of our, it's unfortunate, but because of our relationship with the healthcare industry over the course of our being citizens in this country has not been that well. So many of us have diabetes, uh, weight-related problems, health issues related to our heart and circulatory system. So we need to be extra careful if we have older adults or substantial communities of color, we need to make sure that we're not harming them by inviting them back to service. Now, even with adherence to physical distancing, 
convening a congregational setting of multiple different households to participate in a service puts everyone at risk. So the places of worship throughout uh, that are listed by the state of California, they don't want more than 25% of the building to be occupied and no more than 100 participants, whatever is lower. And they're going to revisit this in 21 days. So when we come back, we'll discuss the status of a new lawsuit against Governor Newsom that's brought by a church in San Diego concerning the intersection of the First Amendment, free exercise clause, and the state's police powers as articulated by the Tenth Amendment. But first, we'll take a short break, and I'll see you on the other side. Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we continue our discussion of today's topic, and that is to say what we need to do to safely reopen our houses of worship here in California. This time, I'm going to focus on the intersection of the First Amendment Free Exercise Clause and the Tenth Amendment State Police Power as exercised by the officers of the state of California, including Governor Newsom. Now, the source for this part of today's show is the emergency application for a writ of injunction that was filed by the plaintiffs, that is to say the South Bay Unified Pentecostal Church and its bishop, Arthur Hodges III, These are the plaintiffs in the United States District Court for the Southern District of California, and they are also the appellants in the United States Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit after the church and the bishop lost their appeal in the Ninth Circuit against the defendants, Governor Newsom, California Attorney General Becerra, California Public Health Official. Um, health officer Sonia Angel and certain elected and or appointed officers of the county of San Diego, where the church is located. I'm also going to use the United States Constitution. And I also had to dig up some of my notes from law school. So what's going on here? The application of the First Amendment clause that are a appropriate for uh, analyzing what's going on in this lawsuit. Now, the First Amendment states that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So this lawsuit deals with the second half of the clause, the free exercise of religion. Now, referring back to my notes from my constitutional law course in law school, there are two distinct tests that a court must use to sort out and decide whether a governmental agency has crossed the line in dealing with the uh, free exercise clause of the First Amendment. Now, if the governmental program or statute or ordinance prefers one religion or a religious sect over another, strict 
scrutiny must be used by the reviewing court. That is to say, the government must persuade the reviewing court that the law is necessary to further a compelling governmental interest, meaning that there is no less restrictive alternative means available to do what the government wants to do. Now, on the other hand, where the legislation or the government program or the ordinance contains no religious or sect preference, the reviewing court uses a three-part test where, under part one, the statute must have a secular purpose. Government is not in the business of religion. Two, the primary effect or purpose must neither advance or inhibit religion. It has to be neutral. And third, the statute must not basically uh, allow the government to get entangled with religion. So I'm going to leave it to you to decide which um, level of scrutiny must apply. But it is my opinion that in as much as the government has put forth, that is to say, Governor Newsom has put forth a piece of legislation that does not uh, have a religious or sect preference, um, therefore, the three-part test would be applicable. It has a secular purpose to prevent the spread of COVID-19. It neither advances nor inhibits religion. Although the individuals who file in the lawsuit says it does, I don't quite see how. I think they're comparing religious institutions to non-religious institutions. And the third uh, uh, part of the test, Governor Newsom and the state of California's health officers are not in trying to get entangled in religion. In my opinion, I think they're trying to stay far, far away from it. As such, the um, strict scrutiny is not required, but the three-part test. Now, the other constitutional amendment that I want you to consider is the application of the Tenth Amendment. And it states that the powers not delegated to the United States government, the feds, by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, meaning there's nothing in the Constitution that says that the states can't uh, get involved in something that's not been delegated to the Constitution. The, our Constitutional Tenth Amendment says that those powers belong to the states and respectively to the people. So included in the powers reserved for the state and the people are the police powers. That is to say, the state legislature has the sole responsibility to enact legislation and rules and ordinance for the protection of the health, safety, and welfare of its citizens. So I believe the First Amendment 
free exercise clause and the Tenth Amendment uh, states' powers yield to the rationally based ordinance that are developed by the governor of the state of California and the local municipalities. So to the matter at hand, on Friday, May 8th, 2020, the day California enacted stage two of its reopening plan, the plaintiffs, that is to say, the Pentecostal Church in San Diego and its bishop, they filed suit in the proper federal court, that is to say the Southern District of California, and they contended that permitting various entities to open in stage two, but relegating places of worship to to stage three was an unconstitutional violation of their right to the free exercise of religion. So here's where I'm saying that they're admitting in their papers that Governor Newsom and his power, his police powers, weren't discriminating against religious institutions, but it was discriminating against the various other non-religious institutions. That same day, the plaintiffs filed an application for a temporary restraining order. And the case was denominated as South Bay Pentecostal Church versus Newsom. The next day on May 11th, the plaintiff filed their first amended complaint and an amended application for a temporary restraining order. So four days later on May 15th, 2020, the district court denied the plaintiffs, that is to say the churches and the bishops application for a temporary restraining order and denied plaintiffs request for an order to show cause that they weren't entitled to a preliminary injunction. That same day, the plaintiffs appealed to the Ninth Circuit, which is the court of review for a district court. And the next day, they filed an urgent motion for an injunction pending the appeal plaintiffs requested on the injunction in the higher court. So they asked the Ninth Circuit to stay what it is that the district court had ruled. On Friday, May 22nd, the Ninth Court uh, Circuit panel issued an order on plaintiff's motion for an injunction pending the appeal. So they did not grant uh, the injunction. Two of the judges, so when you have something go to the Ninth Circuit, usually it's a three-judge panel. So two of the judges voted against the church. And they said in evaluating the motion for injunctive pending appeal, we considered the moving parties, whether or not they had just demonstrated that they were likely to succeed on the merits. And according to the two judges, they weren't able to do so. And so they concluded that they have not de- demonstrated uh, a sufficient likelihood for success on the merit. And also they went on to say that basically what Governor Newsom had implemented was uh, a, a, a proceeding to deal with a highly contagious and often fatal disease, which there presently is no known cure. And so they felt that um, the governor was within its rights. However, one of the judges dissented, and he wrote a very long uh, dissent, and that led the church to appeal to the Supreme Court. 
Now it's in the hands of the Supreme Court, Judge Kagan, who handles emergency appeals for the Ninth Circuit, will decide whether or not to allow the appeal to the Supreme Court to go forward. So we're going to stay tuned and see what happens. So we're going to leave it there for now. But as I like to say in closing here on Selwyn's Law, we want to stay on the right side of the law, especially when we want our congregations operational, but we also want them safe. So all of y'all out there with the sound of my voice and the sound of my voice, please stay safe and take care. Till next time. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to SelwynWhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content.